0: and hello, friends. We welcome you once again to another episode of Now Appalachia. We are broadcast and heard over the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Elliot Parker, and it's great to have you with us. I am so delighted to have poet Sarah Wagner with us today to talk about her brand new collection of poems that is just spectacular, very deeply rooted in Appalachian tradition and themes. And it's got a wonderful reflection on uh, the culture and about family. Uh, and about individuals and about redemption and about making connections and, and the pain of the past and the positivity of the future. And the title of her collection is Hillbilly Madonna. And Sarah Wagner joins us. She is the author of Swan Wife, which was winner of the 2021 Cider Press Review Editor's Prize. She's also been a recipient of the 2022 Individual Excellence Award from the Ohio Arts Council. And she was also a 2021 National Poetry Series finalist and she's also the recipient of the 2019 Sustainable Arts Foundation Award. She's a, in addition to that, she's the author of the chapbooks Tumbling After, which was published by Redbird in 2022, and her other collection Hooked Through, which was published by Five Oaks Press in 2017. Her poetry has appeared in many journals and anthologies, including Sixth Finch, nimrod western humanities review tar river poetry and others she lives in westchester ohio with her filmmaker husband john and her lovely children daisy vivian and cohen so i'm so delighted to have sarah on the program today to talk to us about this wonderful collection of poems uh, that i think folks are really going to connect to and identify with so sarah welcome to the program so glad to have you with us today
1: Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here talking about this
0: book. (laughs) Oh, I'm so delighted to have you. And and there's so much here to to talk about and so much rooted in, in Appalachian cultural mores and some of the themes that those of us that are from Appalachia or have connections to Appalachia will identify with. But I wanted to start first by asking you about your title, because I know your title, when you unspool kind of the background of how that title came to be for your collection, really reveals a lot about... Uh, you, I think, as a poet, but also kind of what you were trying to do in this collection. Can you tell us a little bit about Hillbilly Madonna, what that title is, what it means, and how you came up with that for this collection?
1: Sure. Um, So, first of all, it was the title of a poem in the collection originally, the first poem in the collection, which was later changed to Fit to Be Tied, Um, but that first poem really is is an exploration of of what i thought when i when i wrote that poem it's about you know girls sitting and watching the sky together in this idea of childhood and then the father comes and puts them in the truck and they're kind of bounced into the next part of their life with this realization that you know one day that they're going to be mothers and they're going to have this expectation of what that means thrust onto them um so it's a combination of the landscape and then sort of what the expectations are for girls um, and for me at the time. So I was kind of channeling through a memory I had um, to write that poem. But then when I looked at the collection as a whole, once I started putting it together, I really thought that that encompassed that idea of um, landscape and girlhood. And I mean, there's a poem called Girlhood Landscape too, but the Hillbilly Madonnas really, it got at that a little more distinctly while also dealing with the, the um, themes in here of, of basically degeneracy, um, what it means to be someone that someone sees as um, unpure or unholy or unworthy. um, As a lot of time, people who say hillbilly, they they mean that in a specific and um, insulting way a lot of times. And, Um, thinking about hillbilly and then also thinking about the concept of the holy Madonna and how a lot of times women are put into two categories, the Madonna or the whore and the idea that, that you can be all of those things, you know, hillbilly Madonnas is is hopefully a, a figure that is able to deal with whatever, um, stereotypes and, um, you know, generational trauma and everything else that's been put upon her and still be holy and still be pure and still be worthy of, um you know, redemption and reverence. I think that was important to me with the title.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. Very good. I wanted to ask you um something that I noticed in a letter that you wrote to readers. And I think this ties into uh, your, your family story and I know that uh, your father passed away uh, suddenly of COVID-19 uh, and I know you and he were sort of estranged for a, a long period of time and um, so much of what we see in your collection and we'll talk about some of these poems individually in just a second but so much of what we see in, in your collection um, is, is this idea about um, about his life and, and what what of him and what of his memory and what of himself is left in you. And it's also a story about your mother because your parents separated when you were very young and, and your mother was a, was a strong figure in your life. But in this letter to the reader, you, you write this, you say, I'm left with the central question of this book. How much of his landscape, meaning your father, is left in me? What of it will I carry and pass on to my own children? And how much of it is my landscape? Can you elaborate a little bit about those questions and, and what you were trying, how you were trying to and what you were trying to, to do to answer those uh, in your collection?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like the whole idea of, you know, where my parents come from is so complicated for me. I talk about my mother in this and she's from West Virginia, from Parkersburg, and she is someone who's really tried to... um not identify as a hillbilly. You know, she she kind of left West Virginia and she now now she is kind of going back and trying to unpack and and uncover all those roots and histories and things. But um she left because of something really traumatic which is also in the book which is the murder of her mother and her grandmother. So, um for her she just was like I'm done with this. I'm not part of this. This isn't in me at all. And my father, though, um, when he left, he kind of took it with him. And it's it became his identity, this idea. And a lot of it was based on stereotypical, you know, representations of what a hillbilly is. Um, a lot of why he wasn't that proud of me is that I wasn't quite as hillbilly as he thought I should be. Um, so I had to think about, um, you know, number one, what... Is true about the land? What is him about how I see this land? Um, In the same way that my mother, I think now is reckoning with how much of her, the story of her past is actually the land and how much of it um, isn't. And so I think that for me, I had to travel back to the spaces that um, I spent a lot of time as a child with him in particular and claim those spaces as my own. A lot of these poems were kind of written in the same spaces that I used to play in, like poems like Captivity Narrative and other poems in the collection. So um, it was kind of a reckoning for me of how much of his um, opinion or shaping of the land is truth. And what is mine outside of what he's done to shape the land for me
0: very good very good and I know that carries over into so many of your poems and I wanted to uh, talk to you about a few of them and we could I wish we had more time we could talk about all of them because they're so wonderful and and they tie in so wonderfully to everything that you were just talking about a moment ago but uh, you mentioned fit to be tied that was one of the first poems I wanted to ask you in fact that that's how your collection starts is with that particular poem and One of the things when I was looking at that poem and some of your others, I felt like light was a theme that came up constantly in a lot of your poems. And in Fit to be Tied, uh, we're looking at two girls who are kind of sitting outside on a summer night like kids often do, thinking about what lies ahead. You know, they're just old enough to be past sort of that young girl stage, but not old enough to kind of be on their own and you know one of the things that we see light functioning i feel like in this collection is that uh it either kind of signifies a point of view or it's something to be illuminated and the girls here are kind of looking at themselves and they're kind of thinking about you know c- can they see each other can they see each other through through the light that's coming down upon them or through the firefly uh, fireflies that are that are lighting up the sky they're trying to see if they can see each other really see each other and i wanted to ask you uh, about that about that 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 interplay going on there between them and kind of what they're seeing and talking about and maybe you could comment more a little bit about about light and why that is a, such a prevalent theme through through this poem especially but through a lot of your poems
1: hmm. that's such an interesting question I just you know it's interesting um I think it was Sean Thomas Dordery was asking poets like what if they saw themselves as the season what season would they be you know and I right away I think of myself as a summer poet, like the light, the sun, you know, there's just so much in that, that I think just illuminate at just that feeling of summer feels like poetry to me. So I think I do use light kind of in a summer way in my poems, which is kind of a, a simplistic way to talk about it. But I think in that poem, in particular, the idea of not knowing um, if it's a lightning bug or a star um you know just thinking about the way that light functions and what it means and and how deceptive light can be sometimes it has both those sides of you know we might be looking at something else something great but it might be close to us and we can't from our perspective tell exactly what it is but i mean i think i love light as a symbol just for you know of course it's illuminating but it also sunlight can be purifying it can be cleansing um you know I love the the way there's like a painting I forget what it's called in the Cincinnati Art Museum that's a landscape and it has just this beam of brilliant yellow light in the center of it and I just that's one of my favorite things is is that painting and I love to bring light you know into my work in that
0: way to just kind of
1: let let it glow a little (laughs)
0: Yeah, very good. I want to ask you about one line or, or one really one word kind of at the end of that poem. Sure. Um, and, and and there's sort of a, an unnamed speaker or an unnamed voice that kind of comes in uh, towards the end of the poem. And and it's the line that starts with one day we will be mothers. And this is the voice kind of talking to the girls as they're kind of looking at themselves, both physically and literally and metaphorically. Uh, the, the, the speaker talks about bumping into the next stage of their life. And I felt like that. That was kind of showing that 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 these girls are going to be some point bumped out of this. Uh, existence that they have right now, and that maybe they're going to be, uh, sort of in this world on their own without maybe, uh, someone to kind of guide them or, or, or motivate them. Can, can you talk a little bit about that word bumps and, and, mm-hmm. and the, the voice of that, of that kind of unnamed person or narrator that comes in and, and kind of what the final image is that, uh, you hope readers take away from that poem, kind of structured around that idea of, of the bump or bumps?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I spent a lot of time as a child bumping around in the back of my dad's truck. I don't know if you did too, but um, just the idea of being carried. And I think it, it is kind of, it's like a, a gentle word, but it's also kind of violent being transported along. And and it doesn't necessarily feel safe, right? The idea of being in the back of a truck with the sky racing. And, and I really wanted that juxtaposition for that poem of, first we have the girls kind of laying there and and the fireflies and and then this kind of violent upheaval where you're just racing along towards something else and and you're not protected you're not safe you're kind of just bouncing around in the back of this this truck you're bumping from one stage into the next without it really even being your choice in a lot of ways
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, very good, very good. I wanted to ask you too about another poem. We've been talking about sort of or, sort of light and and how that factors into that particular poem. Um, that th- there was another poem called "Passing It On," which I really really liked. Um, and I just love how you open that poem with with the line, "I want to make a child from the one I have lost. I want to make the base of her mobile. Her, I want to make the base of her rather mobile by some means." um and and there's a sense that that there's great loss here by this by this speaker in this particular poem and then you've got just some really powerful very kind of uh, mystical or supernatural imagery that kind of takes up the, the middle of the poem um but one of the things that that i wanted to, to ask you about is you know we, we saw how light was sort of a divine presence in in the first poem but in this poem there seems to be a kind of a darkness juxtaposed against the light and that, that there's a sinister sort of darkness, uh, maybe maybe metaphorical or literal uh, that permeates this particular poem. As we think about, um, you know, this idea of what this woman has lost and in, in, in this otherwise painful topic of, of losing a child and. Um, and I want to ask you a little bit about that, about this this idea of of kind of this juxtaposition that exists between light being a good thing, but also darkness creeping in, or maybe darkness not being ever too far away from that from that divine light, and, and what you were working with there in that particular poem.
1: Yeah. No, I, I this poem um, I remember exactly when it came to me, and and my um, father actually he was always really good at building things like out of junkyard scraps. When um, when I, you know, when he died, I was his next of kin. So I was responsible for handling all the things that he'd collected. And, you know, he didn't have a big house and he had $17,000 worth of trash for trash out that he had collected. And, and he would build things out of this. He built a whole cabin in the woods in um, Logan, Ohio. We can't find it because he just like stole some land and bought, built this cabinet. And I spent a lot of time there also. And so I was just thinking about him building things from just scraps and trash. And, and it came to me, this idea that I too had been built from that, you know, and some of how I've built my children in my life is from that. Um, so th- there was a little bit of that, but then there was a little bit of this, this ceremony of trying to to change something that I wanted to make more metaphoric, you know, to to change, to use that and try to figure out how to change it into something else. and and, um, for me, August is, you know, if I'm a summer poet, August is that moment where, especially late August, things are awful, you know, it's it's unbearably hot. The mosquitoes are just draining. You can't even go outside. it's it's kind of this this feeling of I need yeah, it's, it's bright and it's sunny and everything's alive, but I kind of want things to die now, you know, (laughs) like I want the frost to come and all the bugs to die. Yes. Um, so I think that that's the way that, that the light and the summer is functioning in this poem. It's a little bit later in the summer where you're ready for that heat and that light to, to let you go a little bit because it's like fire. It has two sides. It can be restorative and beautiful but it can also just sap you of of everything
0: the light absolutely and I'm so glad you said that about summer fall is my favorite season and the best thing I could say about summer every year in Appalachia because believe it or not unless you're living like around Boone North Carolina or Asheville or somewhere near the mountains it's as hot and humid and miserable as you find anywhere else. And the best way I would describe summer is probably it's real and fun, but not real fun. Right. <laughs> In the best way. So I'm glad okay. to hear somebody else feels the same way. Cause when I'm like, yeah. you get to August. I'm like, okay, I'm done. I've had enough. Yeah. I'm ready for sweatshirt and jeans and turn off the air conditioner and all of that. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that point up. We're, we're rid of everything. About the, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> we're talking with Sarah Wagner here on this episode of Now Appalachia. She's the author uh, of the chat book collections, Tumbling After and also Hooked Through. But her new collection is what we're focusing on today. It's called Hillbilly Madonna. And Sarah, we'll get back to the collection in in just a second, because I have some more poems I wanted to ask you about. But I did want to ask you a little bit about at what point did you realize that you had a collection, that that you had enough poems that were thematically connected that you realized I could put this together and I've got a collection? Because I know you've done some chapbooks before, uh, as we just mentioned. But when did you realize, okay, I've got a collection and I'm ready to send this out into the world as kind of one cohesive uh, collection?
1: it took me a long while. Actually. Um, I had a, a big body of work of poems, um, that I was dealing with and I initially thought it was one book. And so I was trying to kind of, you know, pare everything down into, into a book and it just wasn't working. And then I realized I had two books, which is why I have two full lengths this year coming out, which is just crazy. But, um, initially it moved from like childhood all the way up until my current marriage um and i it was all encompassed in this one book of swan wife but that didn't really work very well like it it was too much time it was just everything shoved together so i kind of took out the marriage poems i took out all of the more recent things and then i was left with um thinking about these poems about my childhood and about my father in particular and trying to figure out what is this about like i don't Just want to write a book about my childhood and and my wild stage and uh you know me that's not what i'm trying to do i want to i want it to be about something more um so that's when i decided i was going to start going you know i traveled to jackson ohio and i traveled to um you know all the places that i felt connected to as a child to try to to channel some of these poems i started you know, researching different things about the region and about my, my family. I went through, um, for instance, divorce documents from my grandfather and I found they were divorced because of gross negligence. So I used that as the title for a poem and just thinking about, OK, I want to tell that larger story, which to me is about generational trauma and about, um, you know, what we pass on to our children in general and about the opioid crisis, which has touched every aspect of my life at this point. So I wanted to get that in there too, because I felt that I could not tell a story um, about this region without bringing that, especially as it relates to women, because I feel like that's not something, especially friends of mine who've you know lost a lot of children and things, um, it's not something that people wanna talk about and wanna see as being human. So that became an important element. So once I realized, okay, these poems are um, their own thing, then I thought, okay, here are the holes. And then I started just writing more. And then eventually it took a while for it to come together as a collection from that point, a few years. And then um, it was a finalist at a bunch of places. And then finally Driftwood was like, we want it. And now here it is. (laughs) So it, it was a long process, I'll say.
0: Mm-hmm. So who is a poet that you think everybody should be reading right now?
1: Right now, everyone should 100% be reading um, Nicole Brown. I I think that she is an amazing poet who's speaking about, number one, what we're doing to the environment, what we do to animals. She talks a lot about um, Appalachia in general. I just love her work. Um, of course, Diane Seuss, who just won the Pulitzer. Um, and I, I mean... I also will give a shout out to my friend Kristen Noel Kaufman who was just a finalist for the National Poetry Series and her work is centered on Appalachia too and it is just phenomenal. Um it is uh she she's very like witchy folklore god based and and her work I know is going to just blow everything up once her book comes out. <laughs>
0: Our guest today on this episode of Now Appalachia is poet Sarah Wagner. We're talking with her about uh, her career as a poet, what she uh, what she has done, how she has put this collection together, and the collection of poems that we're talking about is the fantastic book called Hillbilly Madonna, and so Sarah we will go back to the poems uh, for a few more minutes because... Uh, you, you touched on addiction, and I wanted to address that with you uh, just a moment ago. You were talking about that, and we were talking about that juxtaposition a minute ago of sort of light and darkness that exists uh, uh, in a lot of your poems. And I think that uh, some of the some of the darker poems in the collection are are dealing with those areas of addiction. And I just wanted to to mention a couple of poems that kind of tie to that theme. That I want to ask you about one in particular. Uh, there's a poem called "Pending Changes," which is uh, really a, a very poignant tale about a woman who's addicted to heroin. She's giving birth in a Burger King bathroom and, and kind of the experience and trauma from there. Uh, there is um, uh, another poem uh, that I wanted to ask you about called uh, Deadbeat, which is the story of a father or the poem of a of, of the of a father who's kind of in the middle of addiction, really struggling with addiction, and he's begging his adult daughter to let him stay with her. Um, but he's also at the same time just totally destroyed the home and is kind of left uh the, the the sisters and this the these daughters kind of a, an emotional shell of themselves w- what do you hope your poems glean in terms of giving the readers a perspective about addiction because you touched on it a moment ago and addiction is just unfortunately ravaged Appalachia from top to bottom and and we're going on here you know we're we're starting another decade, we're two years in, are going to be three years into another decade, and it doesn't seem to show any signs of slowing down in terms of the availability or those people uh, that are being addicted and or dying from it. What do you hope people see from some of these poems uh, about addiction? You know, your perspective on it and what we need to think about it in terms of how it impacts families and individuals.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that's important to me is to especially um, show that women who become addicted to opioids, particularly women with a history of addiction, family addiction, and not a lot of options are not um, kind of these degenerate, evil, awful people that we see depicted in almost every aspect of the media. I mean, even if you look at real people like Courtney Love, you know, there's a difference with how we look at women compared to men. And for me, um, you know, I had a lot of experience with drugs growing up, you know, I have a lot of addicts in my family. I, um, barely graduated from my undergraduate degree. I, I did not, but I was lucky enough to have a mother who constantly put me back on the line. You know, she, she was like, this is not who you're going to be. Um, and I think, it's easy for people to judge other people for falling into addiction and for not being able to get out because of some holier than thou instinct that we have that, Oh, that, that couldn't be me. But I absolutely, I don't feel that that's true. Um, You know, there are a lot of people that I kind of compressed into the role of sister people who are actual family members and people who have been sisters to me. And and were not any different than me in any way, you know, growing up or um now even, not any different from me, except for the opportunities that I had, because my mother kept forcing me back onto the line, even when I didn't want to, kicking and screaming, forcing me back into um the line. And so that's really and and speaking about the pending charges, the Burger King Bathroom poem, that poem I've only read it live at a reading once because Uh, and when I read it I read it at Northern Kentucky University and I could hear people gasping like oh no and and I think that poem kind of encompasses what I'm trying to do because so many times and, and that was based on a real story although it wasn't necessarily in a Burger King it and and it didn't necessarily go the way I made it go but I wasn't that poem, what I meant to do was to make that not just a new story where it's like, oh, this drugged out woman gives birth in a Burger King. Like, look at how disgusting they are. I wanted the baby to live. I wanted her to live. And I wanted this sense of, yes, this is awful, but, but here is a way out and redemption. And this is not showing you the whole character of this woman right here. This is, this is something that can be overcome. Um, this is something that is a disease, and that is not just a moral failing by people who are too stupid or poor or whatever else people say about all of us to to be able to, you know, handle life. And and also the element of pain, which is a big part of this, and women's pain, and how often women's pain is dismissed, and we're not supposed to be um, seeking relief from the pain of life and existence and 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 how even if we do that you know for birth and things that's seen as a moral failing especially for women we're supposed to just handle and wear our pain and and not want any kind of relief from it and and what i hope to bring is just i guess empathy ultimately especially for women mm-hmm.
0: And I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that leads me into into my next question and, and and the last poem I wanted to ask you about. Again, I wish we could talk about more of them, but uh, one of the poems that I loved was what was called "On Cutting Him Off." And mm-hmm. we we're talking about the the father a moment ago. Um, uh, you know, uh, in, in the other poem, uh, "Deadbeat," who is uh, you know just come back and wants to stay uh, with, with with his daughter. And I just love how you know you write, "Don't feed him when he comes." In that poem, shake you to Your Doorstep." Pleads to sleep in the corner. He wants to destroy your house, almost like he's he's become this monster that his addiction has created him, uh, turned him into a monster and created this person that is not even recognizable anymore. But when we get to on on cutting him off, uh, um, there's a sense that uh, the father now has been kind of removed from the daughter's life where we get that sense that he's no longer in the picture. Uh, but at the same time, it seems like the speaker is trying to have a baby again. You talked about about women and, and life and living, it, and the speaker is trying to have a baby again, maybe trying to be a mother, but I feel like when I got to that poem and I was thinking about your other poems, um, there's a sense that the damage has been done here uh, in a lot of, the, you know, the, the damage that has been done to children by 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 fathers, by drugs, by all the things that are going on, by the darkness that permeates some of these story, these poems and lives has been done, but also, at the same time, there's optimism. Maybe something new can be kind of reconstructed or built up out of these ruins, of these these emotional ruins that these characters have. And I really loved how I felt like by the end of the poem, that, that's where you leave us is, is with that sense that, you know, th- these terrible things have happened and, and there's no sort of repairing those scars. But at the same time, some good can come from that as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And these poems, you know, like we've talked about with my father they're they're pretty close to to my heart these are poems that I've I've been nervous about reading um since the collection came out and it's a strange thing to you know when this book was accepted even up until it was I was about to go to AWP and I was going to read from it um that's when he died and then I had to to tell Driftwood oh um you know, I, I can't write this, I can do that, like, give me a minute. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that was definitely it. the middle section of my book, um, which I gave the the epigraph from um, William Elliott Whitmore's song, One Man's Shame is One Man's Story is Another Man's Shame. And so I really, the center of this book is about reckoning with the father and that those patriarchal impulses and influences that wanted to define my story for me and and the speaker's story of what it meant to be a woman and what it meant to be a mother and to reclaim that and to move on from that kind of shatter that and say this is not who I'll be I don't know who I'll be maybe I'll be some of it but you don't get to say, you
0: know, right. I'm charting my own path. You know, I'm, I'm I'm taking these scars with me, but it's not going to, it's going to be a part of me, but not define me.
1: Yes. Yes. Very good. You're not in charge of me anymore. (laughs)
0: Yeah. you, Mm -hmm. you, You have lost your agency over me. Yeah. Very, very good. Very, very good. Um, As we like to do with a lot of our poets on the program, we like to sort of close out the interview with giving you an opportunity to read from one of your poems so that the audience gets a general sense of your voice and style and just how powerful these poems are. And I know that you've picked one that you're going to share with us uh, on the program today, and I'm so delighted to hear you read this aloud because... Um, I, I kind of, in in my head, imagine what this would sound like having you read it. But hearing you read this poem aloud for the first time is going to be really terrific. So I'll sort of step back here and, and let you set the scene and share this poem with us.
1: Sure. Thank you. Um, so I thought I'd read Idle and Lawless, which comes toward the end of the book. And I think really, um, you know, has all of those themes in it. And I really see this as a sister piece to one of the poems in the beginning of the book which is called girlhood landscape which has the two sisters um you know dot painting their nails and and one of the sisters saying i i don't want to go on a train or be a grown-up i want to be with you forever kind of thing and it's a very sweet kind of happy poem whereas this one it is more of the um the idea I need to leave you. I need to cut this off. This is becoming something that I don't want to be, but it's it's painful too, and and it kind of has all of the the themes in it of masculinity, of um, opioids, of sisterhood, and um, so I'll just and landscape too. So I'll just go ahead and read it for you. It's called Idle and Lawless. All beautiful, like the side of the hill dirt and rocks and wildflowers. The mosquitoes low over the rain-filled tire tracks. Bees hover, test the sugar in our sweat. With lit cigarettes pressed between our lips, we flick the ash into the wet side of the earth. We are playing boys, Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. The creek is high. We wade barefoot, jeans rolled up to our inner thigh. We are looking for an image to latch on to, to start us rolling through the rocks. We want to run from something, towards something, to solve the mystery, to get out. I don't want to be Tom, I say, because he was always clowning. And let's be real, I am the smart one. We'll build a raft from all these sticks. We'll leave you with that needle in your arm like a box of stolen gold. We'll leave you because I can, and making you this story just as a blood oath. I will borrow your lines and flee west. I'm always the one to run from it. I'm always the one to run.
0: Oh, wonderful, wonderful and powerful. And that is just uh, a small snippet of, what folks can expect to read in your collection of poetry. That was just just wonderful. That was so good to hear you uh, read that in person uh, and to hear it in your voice. And I appreciate uh, that so very much. We have been pleased, so pleased to be joined with poet Sarah Moore Wagner today on this episode of Now Appalachia. She's an award-winning, multi-accomplished poet with several chapbook collections and several awards under her belt and keep an eye on her brand new collection. It's called Hillbilly Madonna from Driftwood Press, because I have a feeling that in the award season of 2023, you're going to be hearing her name and seeing this collection of poems pop up in a lot of different places. So Sarah, congratulations. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. and Thanks so much for the conversation and all the best to you in the future.
1: Thanks, you too, Elliot. Thank you.
0: We want to take a moment as we finish up on this episode of Now Appalachia to give a special shout out to uh, the executive producer of our program. Her name is Pam Stack. We could not bring these podcasts to you each and every episode without the work that she does behind the scenes to make sure everything uh, is up and running as it should be. So thanks so much to Pam uh, for all of your support and effort behind the scenes. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. That is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned, more outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.